0: So, this morning, I'm up early, and I'm saying, God, my heart was moved by these messages of Your love. Have we, have we jumped off a cliff here with this apocalyptic prophecy emphasis with, you know, weird and scary beasts and all? And are we somehow pushing away from the theme of Your love? Does, does, does this interface? Can it, can, it, can it fit? And while I was, while I was praying, I said, come on, boy. What do you think? What do you think? How do you think Revelation opens? And I totally forgot about this. I want you to open to the, the apocalypse right now. Revelation, the first page of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. And we've, we, you know, you know the first line. Everybody knows the first line. But I want to show you what I had forgotten. Revelation chapter 1. I'm in the New International Version. Familiar words. The revelation from Jesus Christ, or it can be the revelation of Jesus Christ, or it can be the revelation about Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So the apocalypse is about what must soon take place. There will be a generation on Earth that will live the last pictures of the apocalypse. But I want you to drop down to verse 5. We must not forget. This is not only a revelation. This is not a revelation of the the weird and scary beasts. It's a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now drop down to verse 5, the very tail end of verse 5. And to him... Put it on the screen. There you go. And to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I got a line scribbled right above this line in my Bible, right at the top of the page of Revelation 1. I'm gonna try to read it in in, uh, my own handwriting. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. It's just one line. One thing will be certainly understood from the study of Revelation, that the connection between God and His people... Now, notice those next two words. Is close... And what's the last word? Decided. The connection between God and his people is close and decided. I think of that that, uh, rabbi, raging, furious at this breakaway sect from Judaism. The rabbi's in Jerusalem. Absolutely incensed at the challenge to his, the church of his childhood. He stands there when that brilliant mind is stoned to death. He facilitates the execution. A massive persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, flee to all points on the compass. Saul is now in rage, heading to Damascus, the ancient city. He's heard there's a group of, a group of Christians hiding out. And you know the story. On the cusp of the city, there is this nuclear explosion brighter than the sun, hurled to the ground, his eyes now dark, he cannot see. And he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He knows he's in the presence of some personage greater than he, and he cries out, Who are you, Lord? And then the voice responds, I am Jesus, whom you are what? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you believe that? You're a friend of Jesus. You made a a decision this week, "I'm I'm gonna line my life up with my Savior, live out God's love, and things start falling apart like Eddie on the screen. When you're mocked for the decision you made, when your faith is belittled, guess what? Somebody else feels it. When that pain like a knife, betrayed by someone you counted on, stabbed your heart. Somebody else says, I've been stabbed. Saul, what are you doing persecuting me? The Book of Revelation will show that the connection between God and his people is close and decided. How close? Still a revelation of love and what we're about to see? Yep, yep, yep. I'm gonna put a picture on the screen in a moment. But first I want to pray with you, and then we'll plunge into this teaching. Oh God. The book opens up with your relentless love. Close and decided. That's what happens to people who get into the the apocalypse together. May, may, may that happen to us right now. Close and decided. Are connect with you. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Turn to turn turn to the middle of the apocalypse, Revelation chapter twelve. Let's go. Scary beasts, weird weird symbols. (laughs) This is this is the epitome, the crux of the apocalypse. With all of the above, Revelation chapter twelve, verse one, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with a moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And she was pregnant, and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads, and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now, verse 5 and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snapped up to God and to his throne. Everything that's apocalyptic, you got it in that one picture. We just bought the rights to this picture, European artist. And I'm so delighted that we have. I want you to take a look. His name is Phil McKay. We 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 bought the rights to be able to use this again and again. There it is. There's that woman. Sun shining on her, clothed in the sun, standing, standing on the moon. A little garland of twelve stars around her head. Pregnant. She doesn't look real pregnant. Probably. Day one of the pregnancy, or something—I don't know. He said, "Man, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna paint a picture of this woman with her tummy sticking out." But uh, that's actually what it is. Okay, so there's this woman, and here is this seven-headed, roaring, salivating, ferocious red dragon, and you can count them—they're all seven there. You know, and we—and and, and, we—this may be the first time you've ever. Uh, read this story, and even if it were your first time, there's a certain enough... There, there, there's enough familiarity in some of the themes that we could guess what the story is. We could probably guess that that baby that's going to be born is 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 whom? It's Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's Jesus, the Christ child. The whole story of Jesus is, is reduced to half a sentence. He's born in a shh. Sits on the throne of the universe. We know that's the Messiah. rule with a, with a rod of iron. The dragon, we understand. You know, verse 9 in the same chapter, he's, he's that old devil, the serpent called Satan. We know the dragon. But who is this woman? It can't be Mother Mary because of verse 6. So, let's look at verse 6. Unfolding the picture now, verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Come on. That can't be Mary. So who is she? One of the great Bible keys that we can use to pick the lock of the apocalypse is this one. Women in apocalyptic prophecy represent something. There are two kinds of woman, women. Here's woman number one. Three clues uh, from the Bible. What is a woman when God speaks of a woman? Let's put uh, clue number one on the screen, please. Isaiah 62, 5. As a young man marries a young woman... There may be a young man in this space right now. There may be uh, a family or two getting ready for this to happen in their lives. As a young man marries a young woman. So will your Builder, capital B, so that's God, and God is speaking to Israel. So will your Builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Whoa. The faith community is described as a bride of God. That's weird. Let's try another one. This is the New Testament, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Why? Because I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Old Testament, New Testament, church, bride of Christ. Paul nails it now in Ephesians chapter 525. Husbands, any husbands here? This is great counsel. Come on, husbands, love your wives. By the way, I just have to throw this in. That love means self-crucifying love. That is self-emptying love. So you want to love your wife? You sacrifice yourself for her. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So you have a husband loving a wife, or you have Christ loving the church. The church is the bride of Christ. I want to see that picture again because we bought the rights. Come on. We could look at it as much as we want. Yep. Nobody can can tell us we can't. There's that girl again. There's the woman. She is the bride of Christ. But there are, I warn you, there are two women in the Apocalypse and the other woman... Well, let's just take a clue as to what she might represent. Come on. Uh, Let's go to the other woman, please. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, clue number one. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea... Now, this is a very young prophet. He's just getting ready to get married, okay? Young prophet. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman, and I want you to have children with her. Keep going. Next slide. Next slide. For like an adulterous wife, this land, speaking of Israel, the faith community, is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. What's going on here? He says, I want you to marry a prostitute." The prostitute represents the fallen community of faith. Is that some, some uh, weird little one-liner description? No, here comes clue number 2, Hosea 4, verse 12. My people, God says, speaking of Israel, consult a wooden idol, the, the, the gods of their neighbors, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. You can start out a pure woman and apparently end up an impure woman. You can start out the, the, the bride of God, and you end up to be the prostitute of man. But here's the, here's the clincher. I want you to see it in your own Bible. This is clue number three, but just turn to Revelation chapter 17. We're coming right back to 12, but turn to Revelation chapter 17. Beware. In the apocalypse, you're going to run into two ladies. Two ladies. Be very careful. What's 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 this uh, other lady. Okay, uh, Revelation chapter 17 verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, "Come, come, come." I'm going to show you the punishment of the great prostitute, some of your Bibles say the great whore, who sits by many waters. Waters represents many people. We noted that uh, last week. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Drop down to verse 4. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's a streetwalker. That's what she is. You know, the street just it's just slang for a prostitute. She's all decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Now, keep reading. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. One more line. And I saw the woman was drunk. So we have a drunk prostitute here. The woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. My, oh, my. Streetwalker that she is. Let's just put that picture up. Just the background, yep. There are two women in the Apocalypse. One's the bride of Christ. The other is the paramour of the dragon. And for for the heart and soul of this book, this is where the play and counterplay will take place. It will be between these two communities. The bride of Christ, the paramour or the, or the lover of the dragon. Again and again, we come back to that. What's that mean? Let's be clear. Revelation 12, the bride of the Christ, bride of Christ. Revelation 17. The adulterous and impure woman of the dragon. Two faith communities. You can start out the bride and end up the prostitute. Give me a break. No. Well, he we left the woman, the bride of Christ, with a dragon, spinning from missing out in fury, unable to slay the Messiah. He turns on the woman, and let's read that. Uh, let's read that verse again. Back to chapter twelve, verse six, and so child snatched up to heaven. The woman fled, verse 6, into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for how many days? 1,260 days. Now, what's going on here? In this book of apocalyptic symbols of beasts and sea and earth and water and sky, in the midst of these symbols, there's time, and time is symbolic as well. Let me share something with you. 1,260 days. You're going to see on either side of this chapter another time period represented, and it's it's called 42 months. Now, the Jewish day, uh, the Jewish month, rather, the Bible month is only 30 days long, and so 30 times 42 would be here. 1,260 days equals 42 months, and you read a little further, three and a half years. Same time. Nothing's changed in the amount of time. Same timeline, but what's going on? The great uh, English mathematician, Sir Isaac Newton, everybody knows Isaac Newton, law of gravity, was fascinated with Bible prophecy and discovered this key, put the key in the lock, and the lock popped open. What's the key? A day in Bible prophecy equals a year of real time. Come on. You can't find that in a Bible. Yeah, long before before, uh, Isaac Newton, God actually had uh, Design the key. Let's put it on the screen. Numbers 14, verse 34. For 40 years. He's talking to the children of Israel in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land. You remember the 12 spies, and they reconnoitered and they, they came back after 40 days, and 10 of them said, we can't do it. We're losers. We're losers. We've lost. And two of them said, come on. God will get us through. God says for 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you spies explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Forty years. Okay, you were, you were gone for 40 days? For 40 years, until the last one drops, you're gonna be wandering this wilderness. Hey, that wasn't Isaac Newton. That was God. God says the same to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Young prophet Ezekiel, Chapter 4. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin, a day for each year. Of all the apocalyptic keys, this one is most readily substantiated by scholarship today. In apocalyptic prophecy, a day equals a year. So, what's that mean? Let's put it up here, in fact. 1,260 days in prophecy would equal 1,260 years of history. Does this make sense? So, when you run into a day in apocalyptic prophecy, it really is hinting that it's a year. Now, scholars are rather unanimous in describing this 1,260 year period as none other than the dark and middle ages of church history. You know what was happening? Exactly what it's described here you got a furious dragon setting out to decimate and obliterate the Bride of Christ. You remember the two, the split-screen a moment ago? That's the battle all the way through. They're both fronts for the primary players, the Lamb of God and the Dragon of Hell. Every battle fought on this planet is between the two. These are surrogates, the two women. I've stood in the alpine valleys of, of uh, northwest Italy, the Piedmont Mountains. Oh, I'll tell you what. If you're in the School of Architecture, I, I hope the pandemic does not stop the tours to, uh, to that, that beautiful alpine setting. We've gone twice, Karen and I, with uh, Kathy Dembski in and the, and the uh, was it the third-year class of architecture. Anyway, they're, they're up there studying um, a Waldensian uh, architecture. But we had the privilege of moving into some of the caves. You know what was going on in the caves? You know why they are in the the, uh, Alpine Valleys? Because there's another woman. And the other woman is absolutely furious at the thought that there would be any other woman to share the stage with her. Unable to brook the idea of opposition, that prostitute sets out to destroy the Bride of Christ. Just last week, we were talking about the the French Revolution. You ever heard of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, August 24, 1572? Near the end of the dark and Middle Ages, the sign was the tolling of the cathedral bells at midnight. And then by the thousands, Huguenots, these are the spiritual descendants of the Waldensians, actually, the Huguenots, dragged out of bed Disseminated. Watch this. From the apocalyptic classic Great Controversy, these words. The blackest in the black catalog of crime, most horrible among the fiendish deeds of the dreadful centuries of the Dark Ages, keep reading, was the St. Bartholomew Massacre. Noble and peasant, okay? Second estate, third estate. We talked about the three estates back in those days in France. Noble and peasant alike. Old and young, mother and child were cut down together. Keep reading. The butchery continued for two months. When it was over, 70,000 of the very flower of the nation of France had perished. Drunk. The blood of the children of the Bride of Christ. I'm warning you. Two women and one battle. John uh, will uh, reprise the battle here, so jump over to verse 13 in chapter 12. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled... So the Messiah snatched to heaven. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Verse 14. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. We sang about that a moment ago, didn't we? Two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Somebody's looking out. Saul, Saul, why are you doing this to me? Somebody, when you align with him, will never forsake you. He will never leave you. And every crucible you drink, he drinks with you. But somebody looking out for her. At a place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time. There it is, three and a half years. But we know three and a half years is really 1,260... one thousand two hundred sixty three and a half days. Rather, three <laughs> three and a half years is actually in days one thousand two hundred sixty days, and that would be that long, dark and Middle Ages period. But then I want you to see this, verse fifteen, and then from his mouth. So he is pursuing the bride of Christ. Then, from his mouth, the serpent or the dragon spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But verse 16, "The earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth." I want you to catch that line. Let's just, let's just iso that line on the screen. "But the earth helped. The woman. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Last week we had an earth beast and a sea beast, right? Yep, we did. Well, that earth beast, could that be the earth here? Why couldn't it be? Remember the earth beast? It comes up right at the end of the dark Middle Ages, comes up right here in the late 1700s, comes up far away from the peopled thoroughfares of Europe. This is all new world over here, old world, new world, and it comes up at the moment. This woman, the bride of Christ, is desperate for somebody to save me from the decimation. My, oh, my. Are you suggesting, Dwight, that God himself raised America up so that she could be that safe haven, haven for, the, for those fleeing persecution in Europe? That's what I'm suggesting. You mean the new world was intended by God to offset and neutralize the massive slaughter on the other side of the sea. Yep. Great controversy again on the screen. In America, it was demonstrated that the principles of the Bible are the surest safeguards of national greatness. And the world marked with wonder in this land of the new world, the peace and prosperity of a church without a pope and a state without a king. Truth is, come on, can I say it? God had needed a place where the last seed, the end time, the King James, actually, will call it the remnant seed. God needed a place where that final generation of the bride's children might grow up unmolested and from that base extend the mission of the kingdom to the entire planet one more line left in revelation let's read it now verse 17 revelation 12 the last line verse 17 and then when he saw that this refuge had been raised up to snatch his victims then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring so now she's produced children and these children carry on the legacy of mother he enraged, went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are these offspring? Well, they're those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast the testimony of Jesus. There it is. That's the Remnant Church. You hear people once in a while talk about the Remnant Church. That's it right there. What they're really trying to say is that's the bride of Christ at the end of time. That's what it is. Two identifying marks, by the way. Let's put them up. For this bride, the children of the bride, they keep the commandments of God. I suppose that includes the Ten Commandments. I suppose that would also include the Fourth Commandment, where God, from the very beginning of time, has set aside the seventh day Sabbath to be a memorial of his, of his office as creator of the universe. So, as it turns out, the, uh, the bride, the woman before Calvary, The woman before Calvary and after Calvary has always been a Sabbatarian community because God set aside the seventh-day Sabbath as his gift to the human race, gift of a relationship, gift of a friendship. We're going to spend time together, you and I, on this day. This day is dedicated to us. So, whatever this the seed, the remnant seed, the offspring of the woman. We know one thing. We know that they're going to keep the commandments of God. And what's the other one? The other the other qualification, they hold fast their testimony about Jesus. They're going to be a Jesus people. <laughs> they're going to talk about Jesus. They're going to focus on Jesus, and they're going to uplift Jesus at... Two challenges from the atheist, secular world that they will be living in at the time of the endgame. There are two major challenges, and these twin IDs are for those, those twin challenges. Challenge number one, there's no such thing as the divine. There's no such thing as salvation. You're your own savior, and good luck. Nope, nope, nope. Jesus, as Lord of salvation, means he is savior. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, means he is creator this anti-Genesis apostasy on this planet, they're raised up to challenge the worldview that says you got here by accident and you'll leave by accident. The children of the bride, the end game, children of the bride, keep the commandments of God, hold fast their testimony about Jesus. I tell you what, whatever you want to say about the remnant and there are some conversations that challenge the veracity of that notion. The fact of the matter is, God, God loves the children of the woman at the end of time. And it's no wonder, this isn't rock and science, why the dragon would target that faith community and say, Destroy them, do whatever it takes, blot them out. What was that line a moment ago? We began with Let's put it back on the screen. One thing will certainly be understood from the study of Revelation, and that is that the connection between God and His people, Christ and His Bride, is close and decided. You know what some people say? They say, hey, listen, you know what? This is, this is my life philosophy. I love Jesus. I don't love his church. Now, I'm a Jesus guy. I only go for Jesus. Forget the church. I really can't stand the church, to be honest with you. But I love Jesus. Can you imagine going up to a husband and saying, you know what, I really love you, but I can't stand your wife. I mean. <laughs> Next. <laughs> right? Right? You wouldn't say that to a husband. It is absolutely, absolutely ludicrous for people to tout the concept. It really doesn't matter what church you belong to as long as you love Jesus. It matters a whole lot because Christ and the church are connected. That's the one little take-home truth right now. Christ and His church are connected. You can accept one, but you can't reject the other. If you accept the one, you accept the other. If you reject the one, you reject them both. It's impossible to segregate that and say, I only want Jesus. I don't want the church. They can't do it. It's ludicrous. He has poured everything. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He bought the church with his blood. Do you understand that? He bought the church with his blood. It's the one object on earth upon which God bestows his supreme regard. This is what makes him, just sets him to singing. He says in Zephaniah, I sing over you, girl. He's talking about the church. I sing over you, woman. I know there are people that are circling around out on the fringes of faith communities. I want to say something to you, if you're one of those. The time has come for for you to return to the heart and home, the spiritual heart and home of your birth. It's time to come back to the remnant. I realize there are people out there that are just kind of drifting along. They don't know it, but they're drifting away. I want to say to you, it's time to come back to your heart and home. It's time to come back to the remnant church. I want to say to those of you who are saying, you know what? Mañana, mañana, mañana. Mañana, I'm going to get serious. Mañana, I'm going to go deeper. I want to tell you something, my friend. We are running out of mañanas today. We're out of them. It's time to come back. It's time to come back to the Remnant Church. Jesus loves you. I love you. We love you. Why not? You can't say you love Jesus and disconnect from His bride. One last line from this little American writer. Put it on the screen. You see it there. God's love for His church is infinite. His love for you, because you're part of the bride. His love for me, because I'm a part of the bride. His love for us is infinite. He gave his life to save the church. He will never lose the church. He may lose me. He may lose you, but he won't lose the church. (laughs) No. I've been fighting toe-to-toe with this dragon for millennia now, and I'm not losing the church. Not the children of the woman. At the end of time, they're mine. You belong to Jesus. Do you understand that? You belong to Jesus right now, and he has a claim on you. You can't just walk away and say, Ah. Easy come, easy go. No. There are only two choices. Two women. Two destinations. One choice. Please, choose Jesus by choosing his bride. Oh, God. Two women. Two communities. But only one of the women is a bride. It's your bride. You died for that bride. You love that bride with infinite love. Don't let us say no. Don't let us push away and say, I'll go the other way. There are only two choices. We choose the bride by the grace of the Lord Jesus, who loved us and freed us from our sins, We choose the bride.